Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but mostly it's about Star Wars. All right, Kevin, we're uh, still in the Clone Wars. Yeah, the Clone Wars go on for a little bit, and there are a lot of seasons of the Clone Wars TV show, so I think today we're going to take a couple little excerpts out of that and talk about some of the interesting storylines. So basically, we're going to bring back the magic. We are going to bring back the magic. All right. So the, the two uh, story arcs that we're going to go over are the Night Sisters story and the Mortis story. So uh, we'll put all of this in the episode notes so that you guys know where to go and find these specific episodes if you want to watch these storylines. But for the Night Sisters, this is season three, episodes 12, Night Sisters, 13, Monster, 14, Witches of the Mist, season four, episode 19, Massacre. And then for Mortis, this is season three, episodes 15, 16, and 17. Yep. All right, Kevin, you want to bring us into the Night Sisters. Who are they? What's their role? Why should we care? So the Night Sisters are a group of women, and they live on the planet Dathomir, and they wield um, what they call dark magic, which is a manifestation of the force that is neither the light side nor the dark side. It's a little bit different side. Um, and sort of as some background, the Night Sisters were actually uh, part of the Legends canon prior to um, the Clone Wars TV show. They were in a book called The Courtship of Princess Leia. They were actually kind of enemies of the Jedi. Um, the Jedi quarantined their planet, forbade anybody from visiting the planet because they were so powerful with their magics that the Jedi could not resist them. And then through a series of weird events, um, Han and Leia ended up on the planet. And that's where they actually like finally, finally fell in love and decided to get married. So when the Clone Wars show started, they took some ideas from that, but brought a very different version of the Night Sisters into uh, canon. They're basically mystics that use uh, dark magics, basically just for their own ends. They are not part of the Sith, nor are they part of the Jedi. They're not part of the Republic, nor are they part of the Separatists. They're a small coven of witches that live on a planet and kind of do their own thing. Right, and tell us about the other inhabitants of the planet. So away from the Night Sisters coven are the males. And so most of the uh, Night Sisters males are Zabrax, which are um, humanoid species that look kind of like uh, zebra, black and red, or black and yellow uh, kind of bodies. And they have horns on their heads. Darth Maul is a, a Dathomir Zabrak. Okay. But they don't all hang out. It's not like the witches and the, you know, Zabraks are, you know, just hanging out, having barbecue, whatever. No, and in fact, the, the witches run the planet and the, and the males are their slaves. Oh. It's, yeah, it's not super clear on, because they imply that the males are the children of the Night Sisters, but they're different species. So it's never really kind of like all worked out on where they come from and how they come about. But essentially, the males of the planet serve the Night Sisters. They... Uh, supply them with food and and whatnot and they're slaves on the other side because they are they do not have the magics and so um, the night sisters rule the planet from their side and the males uh, do as they're told I see all right more unsettling slavery in the uh, galaxy yes and this becomes very relevant through uh, the story of of the night sisters that we're going to talk about all right so uh you know, we, we get into the story of the Night Sisters, and it actually starts with uh, an unfortunate uh, 
it, it's I actually feel bad for her, um with Ventress. Yeah. So walk us through what happens there. Yeah, so I guess at some point, as we talked about in a previous episode, Darth Sidious uh, Palpatine um, decides that Asajj Ventress, who is Count Dooku's chief assassin and ostensibly his uh, Sith apprentice, that she has failed him too many times and also is becoming too powerful, which is a weird kind of uh, opposite dynamic. But Sidious basically orders Dooku to kill his apprentice, and in part as a show of loyalty to him and a show of disloyalty to his own apprentice and whatever. And Dooku, because he's not ready to challenge Sidious yet, he agrees to do it, and so he attempts to kill Asajj Ventress. It's and, uh, not a really full-throated effort, though. No, it's a kind of half-hearted attempt, and it basically, you've actually watched the episode more recently than me. I don't remember how that fight ends. Uh, basically, so there's a space battle going on, and, and Ventress is uh, in her shuttle shooting around, and then um, we see Obi-Wan and Anakin are in their little spacecraft flying around too. And basically at this point, uh, you know, they're just shooting at each other. It's probably going to wind up being a draw as is their usual. But instead they fly into one of the Separatists' uh, bigger spaceships. And I guess you can just like land there. It doesn't matter what side you're on. You can just fly right onto it. And so they, they're in there, and then they're going to have, like, another fight scene. And at this point, Dooku gives the order to his droids, oh, where's Ventress? Oh, she's on the shuttle, or she, she landed her shuttle onto our bigger spacecraft. Just go ahead and blow up the spacecraft, and that'll kill her. And they're like, but what about all the droids on the spacecraft? And he's like, eh, I don't really care. Go ahead and kill Ventress. So they shoot. Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin are like, this is messed up. Let's get out of here. That kind of ends the fight scene and Ventress is able to escape and she has nowhere to go. She realizes Dooku's tried to kill her and she doesn't know what to do other than go home. Right. And to this point, this is the first time we find out that she is actually the daughter of Mother Talzin, who is the leader of the Night Sisters, and that um, Asajj Ventress was born a Night Sister. And presumably she was taken at a young age by Dooku to be raised as his apprentice. Actually, no. The In the episode, she is taken by uh, a Jedi. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember It doesn't that. look like Dooku. Or it would be someone who's not Dooku but is strong with the Force, but they're like fighting on the planet and he scoops her up she's like 10 years old eight years old because he realizes that she used the force to like shoot some people back she like force pushed them interesting are you yeah. sure that's not young dooku maybe it didn't look like him but okay. well anyway she was taken from dathomir at some point at an early age and she ended up in the care of dooku who trained her in the sith arts that's true right correct yeah and so, yeah, like you said, um, having nowhere else to go, she kind of goes home to, um, to Mother Talzin and says, hey, Dooku betrayed me, and uh, I don't think that's very cool. And Talzin's like, I got this. Let's get some revenge on Dooku. And when she lands on Dathomir, the other Night Sisters are kind of apprehensive of her. They're like, why should we let you here? Uh, you know, they're, they're really not the kind of people to welcome outsiders. But then Mother Talzin's like, no, wait, she totally belongs here. This is your family, sisters, daughter, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so um, Talzin comes up with uh, what is possibly a needlessly complicated plan, but 
is some kind of plan where she calls Dooku and says, hey, I heard your apprentice is uh, not your apprentice anymore. How about I hook you up with a better apprentice? Let's try one of the males from my planet. And Dooku's like, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Because he still wants to one day overthrow Palpatine. So, I mean, this is like, he's got to get his apprentice lined up, right? That's right. It's a good deal. And so through what is a kind of a, a relatively long sequence, um, basically Ventress goes to the male side and starts this sort of like gladiator contest of champions to decide who's going to be the most powerful and be worthy of being her apprentice, not quite knowing that they're going to be sold out to uh, Count Dooku. Right. And I mean, I think we've seen needlessly complicated plots throughout the entire Star Wars universe. But if you are not Palpatine, they won't work for you. So uh, bring us forward here. Yeah. So anyway, they go through this whole thing and this one guy gets selected and there's some a little bit of drama because he he, you know, protects his brother in order to save him and then he throws himself at the mercy and then mother talzin works a spell and basically uh you know kind of evil captain america is him he gets like much much bigger much more powerful stronger gains some level of force sensitivity probably well the force flows through all living things he's just you know kind of pushed in the direction as to how to use it yeah and so um and then the the biggest key to this spell is that he is 100% bound to obey Ventress's orders. And to test that, she orders him to kill the very brother that he's been protecting, and he hesitates a little bit, but then he does it. Yikes. Yikes. And so uh, Talzin calls up Dooku and says, hey, you should drop by my planet. I've got this dude for you. He's pretty cool, and you should train him to be your apprentice. And Dooku shows up, and he brings Savage Press to his base and starts training him in uh the sith arts and savage is he's savage he's brutal he's a big dude and uh, he learns fairly quickly uh with his extra dark um night sister magics and then starts a campaign of killing jedi yeah he's pretty much everything dooku could have asked for yeah so he does a pretty good job for a little while until uh ventress basically triggers um, her spell and she shows up with another couple night sisters disguised and they start an assassination attempt on Dooku, right? Right. And in that attempt, then, you know, he calls on Savage Opress to protect him and she invokes her magic and turns Savage against Dooku and it ends up in a, in a pretty tough fight for Dooku. Right, but Savage Opress is, wait, like, why are you mind controlling me? And why am I fighting on the side of the Sith? Why am I not fighting on my side? And things go awry. Yeah. And because he's pretty powerful, he defeats both Dooku and Ventress at the same time. Doesn't kill either of them, but he escapes. Ventress escapes. Dooku escapes. And everybody kind of goes their separate ways. Right. So Savage Opress, then where does he wind up? So he ends up wandering. Um, he wanders around and he comes back to Mother Talzin and asks for a purpose in life. And she gives him a purpose that we'll probably talk about in another episode because talking about it now would open a whole door into a thing that... Well, I, I think we should just uh, give you a teaser of what's going to happen. So he asks what he's supposed to do and she suggests that he goes and finds his brother. So that's going to bring us to another podcast on another day. But, um, you know, he's out there in the galaxy looking for Maul. Yeah. And so he's got a little amulet that she gives him and he's looking for Maul. Uh, Ventress goes on a little bit of a walkabout and 
tries to figure out what to do with her life and she ends up coming home and reports into Ventress or sorry reports into Mother Talzin and Talzin says you know what I think it's time for you to join the Night Sisters and so they this have this is season four so this is the episode called Massacre and this is a terribly sad episode um you know all those times earlier when I said the Clone Wars is for eight-year-olds I take it all back. This is a horribly sad episode. This episode is not for eight-year-olds. Do not let your eight-year-old watch this. No. Um, so basically, Ventress comes back home. She says to Talzin, hey, I want to like join back up with the Night Sisters." Talzin takes her with the other Night Sisters and kind of has a baptism and asks her to reject her previous life and rejoin the Night Sisters. And just as they start the feast... Dooku decides it's time to get his revenge on them for trying to assassinate him, which I think is a little unfair that he's considering it some sort of betrayal and assassination. He tried to assassinate her first. Exactly. Like, I, I mean, it's really just the scales of justice are technically even. Two failed assassinations. Like, just move on. Right. But he does not move on. And he, in fact, orders General Grievous to go and wipe out the Night Sisters. Yeah. And this is... This is sad. So basically, we've got this like Bacchanal going on. I, I mean, these Night Sisters, they look like they're partying pretty hard with the magics. Um, they've got some bonfires, some dancing, whatnot. And then all of a sudden, way too many droids, way too many ships. This is overkill. There's like, what, maybe 20 Night Sisters all in or something? Yeah, there aren't that many. I mean, may yeah, maybe 50, but like not a lot. And they bring a couple of drop ships. Like they've got battalions of clones or thousands of, or sorry, not clones, battalions of droids. There are probably thousands of droids in play. And, um, and in the end, it's actually almost not enough. <laughs> true, true. So, I, I mean, it's overkill, but uh, if it wasn't for the magic, then it wouldn't like, it just wouldn't have been as difficult of a battle as it wound up being. So Mother Talzin decides that she's got to do some uber magic to fix this. Yes. So she goes into a secret cave and visits um, a woman called Old Daka, who I guess just hangs out in the secret cave all day because she was in the secret cave. And she invokes the chant of resurrection and basically raises a zombie army of um, now undead night sisters that are pretty effective at dismantling droids because it's pretty hard to kill a zombie. They're already dead. Can't kill them that hard. And, um, and so that army kind of sweeps over all the droids. And then Mother Talzin also, for some reason, has a lock of Count Dooku's hair. So that's, another, that's a story that's never told that I want to hear. Right, but she kind of suggests that because of like some mystical favor he asked for, some other time because like they've got this essential business relationship basically that at some point in order to do the magic she probably got a lock of his hair yeah so anyway she uses a lock of his hair to create a voodoo doll of him and starts torturing uh dooku from afar and so he's back in his base and he's got like blisters on his face and he's racked with pain and she does something where she pops out of his chest and starts talking to him and tells him about how much pain he's going to suffer and orders him to take his army away. And he says, no. Why and doesn't she just kill him then? I don't know. And she falls victim to the classic, I spent too much time torturing my enemy and I forgot to kill them. And Grievous finds her in old Daka and kills old Daka, which drops the zombie army. No zombie master, no zombies. Yes, that's kind of how it works. He spills the potion that gives the voodoo power. And Mother Talzin, just before she gets stabbed, turns into a cloud of green smoke 
and disappears into the spirit world. Right. And so what we had been previously seeing was this battle with Ventress and some of her night sisters and a whole bunch of zombies. The zombies all disappear. And uh, Ventress, she got shot by one of the droids. Uh, one of her sisters got killed. And the rest of the sisters are going to go down very quickly. Yeah. And basically the droids kind of off camera, but the droids slaughter the rest of the night sisters because they have no more protection. Um, and Ventress ends up being the only one left. Right. So no mother, no planet, no sisters. What what does she do? Well, she gets a little bit of a vision from Mother Talzin who tells her, I mean, in, a, in just kind of the like one of the more uh, disturbing little sequences says, this is it. This chapter is over. The Night Sisters are done. And Ventress says, well, what should I do now? And she says, I don't know, but uh, your fate is tied to ours. But you have to come. You have to figure it out for yourself and then disappears and leaves Ventress to uh, leave the planet and try to find her place in the world. So half the planet wasn't destroyed with the, the males, right? Yeah, presumably. I, I maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, when Grievous lands ships, he does land a bunch of drop ships. And we can see from, you know, earlier episodes where Kenobi and Anakin were there and also when Ventress goes to the male side, they're not very well defended. So do they do they all get slaughtered? Maybe. Do they not? I don't know. Does it matter? Not really, because they're not very like they're neither powerful nor useful. So I don't know. They're Basically probably fine. a planet got genocided. Yes. Wow. Because Dooku was upset that the woman that he tried to murder and failed to murder tried to murder him and failed to murder him. And so he says, go genocide her people and does. Right. Uh, one of the things that I think it's important to note is that we get another peak of General Grievous fancying himself to be very strong swordsman. Um, he loves the opportunity to get to fight someone who is technically very talented with the lightsaber so he's got his four and i i don't know if he's got any particular style that he's fighting with but he definitely fights like a robot so you know he's up against someone who is very strong with the force but only has two lightsabers and she keeps finding herself basically overmatched yeah and i mean they fight to a draw to some extent and she does cut one of his forearms off which seems to happen to him a lot yeah his um I would say Grievous's style does not follow any of the seven standard forms because the seven forms don't assume that you have two hands that can just sort of rotate. Um, so he fights in his own unique style. She holds her own against him. She's very talented at the two lightsaber fight. Um, but uh, eventually she is, well, I mean, she's bested by him when he cheats and he tells his droids to open fire on her. True, true. But, I, I mean, she wasn't ever going to truly overtake him. Probably not. Like, no. that fight was going to go to a draw. And you have to assume that the two have sparred before, right? I mean, they were both, you know, Grievous was learning how to fight lightsabers under Dooku, and she was training under Dooku. So you have to assume that they both knew each other's fighting style. But, yeah, that fight really didn't go anywhere. But it is an interesting glimpse into, into uh, Grievous assuming that even though he lacks force uh, sensitivity, he can fight as well as a force sensitive and he does mostly by cheating by using extra arms right and, and that's a theme that uh, we, we should expect to see from grievous is he's got no moral compass even the sith seem to have some kind of evil ethical moral compass yeah i mean they they at least believe in something right they believe mm -hmm. in the acquisition of power and they believe in the rule of two and they believe in you know the the sith code and they tend to abide by that. Um, Grievous really 
he he more or less believes in following his orders i guess i don't know he's a weird he's a whole weird character right but yet the emperor thought or soon to be emperor uh our chancellor palpatine thought that it was more important to have the assassin assassinated than it was this guy with four lightsabers so well of course right because grievous is easily controlled and i think he was concerned and rightly so ventress is actually an an extremely powerful uh figure i mean she she fought Anakin and uh, General Kenobi together to a draw on more than one occasion. She's very good at what she does. Right. Yeah. So that pretty much uh, rounds out the Night Sisters story arc. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, they're basically, they've been genocided. They're gone. Uh, Mother Talzin still exists in sort of a spirit form. Um, and she does pop up occasionally in uh, one more episode in this show. She actually pops up again, I want to say in... in another season or in rebels i don't remember she she has one or two more appearances but she really isn't she doesn't have that much effectiveness left anymore right and without the rest of her night sisters the night sisters sort of just pass into memory okay so if you kind of go back before we got to massacre and you finished up those three episodes in season three immediately we move into the story of mortis which is another magic story or or force magic whatever you want to call it it has absolutely nothing to do with what we just saw um so open us up yeah so um the the sort of the scene is set by um the jedi council receive a message it's a coded transmission from using a jedi code from thousands of years in the past and they send of course anakin obi-wan and ahsoka to investigate and so Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are in a shuttle. Their cruisers are kind of following them. They approach the point where the signal originated, and they seem to find nothing there. And they also lose communication with the rest of their fleet, and then suddenly a planet appears in front of them, and they try to land on it. And that's sort of where the mystery starts. Right. So pretty much um, we, we find out that our three Jedi are on this planet. It's kind of a funky planet because it's super lush. It's got all these like just beautiful plants, but there's no animals. That's right. And as they start to investigate around, they notice that as day turns into night, um, this burning rain falls and everything dies. So they take shelter and eventually they stumble upon this sort of floating ethereal woman. And she identifies herself as the daughter and she speaks really only to Anakin and says he has to come with her and basically ignores the other two. Um, so at the beginning of the episode, we kind of get this, uh, we need to see the one. Is this the one? Is this the one? So there, there's commentary about that and questions about it. And, you know, from our adventures with Anakin in The Phantom Menace with Qui-Gon Jinn suggesting he's the one that he, he's the virgins in the force to bring balance. Um, you know, we're now coming back to that where, you know, we hear these voices on this weird planet. We hear the sister or the daughter only speaking to Anakin. And now we, we don't really know what to make of her role nor where are they going. Right. And so um, there's a sort of a little bit of a series of adventures. Anakin gets separated from um, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, and he's brought to a, I guess, a temple on the top of a mountain, and he meets an old man who identifies himself as the father. 
And the father explains what's happening is that they believe that Anakin is the one who is prophesied to bring balance to the force and that the father is a figure who is deeply connected to the force and he's one of the original connections to the force and he maintains balance over the daughter who more or less represents the light side and the son who more or less represents the dark side but are both forbidden from straying too far into their own sides and um and they live together on a planet called mortis only the three of them and also the daughters uh she's kind of got a familiar it's a, a, an owl looking bird called a convair um convor 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 um and they live together and they sort of maintain this planet of mortis and through it they maintain various aspects of the force and so they represent the balance of the force throughout the galaxy and the father confesses to Anakin that he's getting very old and he is losing his ability to maintain the balance. And he offers Anakin the opportunity to take his place. Right. So what is Anakin? 20 at this point? Yes. Yeah. And we've seen his uh, inability to see the bigger picture, more focused on winning the war. I don't know if this is a guy put in charge of the entire universe's force balance. Yes, and it turns out he's not. Um, he does not really kind of take kindly to this offer. So he spends the night in uh, the father's citadel. Uh, he is visited by a vision of his mother who sort of tries to coerce him into doing this. And through a series of adventures, they sort of figure out that there's a lot of... Um, let's say stress between the brother the the son the daughter and the father and it turns out that the son has been falling deeper and deeper into the dark side and he wants to usurp the power of the father and the daughter feels that the only way to stop him is to kill him and the father wants neither of them to do either of these things well that would be you know fair in a perfect world but here we are and you've got this son who is craving the power as a sith lord would do um and he's very strong with the dark side and so now this the son is looking for ways to get more power how is he going to do it and we find out that uh he he's willing to go to great lengths yes and so the father in a in just sort of a way to demonstrate to everyone uh what anakin's power is he basically captures um, Anakin, uh, sorry, he basically captures Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and gives one of them to each the son and the daughter who convert themselves from humanoids into giant fighting birds of some sort and basically has them fly them up and, and tells Anakin that he can only save one, which will he save? And Anakin, of course, uses the force and dominates the will of both the son and the daughter and forces them to release his friends and then defeats them in in a in a very epic force battle um, and shows that he is stronger in the force than either of them and is a worthy replacement for the father but then once again throws down the opportunity to maintain the balance and says they need to leave the planet right so unfortunately the son realizes this and he uh manages to trick ahsoka and basically possesses her 
and uses Ahsoka to really get underneath Anakin's skin, which, you know, it works. Yes. And he ends up, Anakin ends up fighting Ahsoka because she attacks him. And the daughter ends up revealing to them a dagger, which is the only way that you can kill her or the son. And so Obi-Wan gets the dagger and somehow in a fight between possessed Ahsoka versus Anakin, the uh, the son and the daughter intervene. And one way or another, Ahsoka ends up getting killed. The daughter ends up getting stabbed with the dagger. And, and the father's still alive. And the father's still alive and the son is still alive. And... The daughter uses her dying breath to resurrect Ahsoka. Right. So basically, nobody got what they were trying to do. Right. So now that the daughter's dead, the father has a funeral, buries her with the dagger, um, and the Jedi decide that they should leave the planet before the sun can use their shuttle to escape and wreak havoc across the galaxy. And while they're repairing the shuttle, Anakin decides to go visit the father one more time and sort of ask his blessing to leave the planet and leave the situation and the father tells him that he has to complete his journey and sends him to visit sort of a light side cave where he has a vision of Qui-Gon Jinn who tells him once again that he is the chosen one directs him to a dark side cave where he meets the sun and the sun basically gives him a vision of the future and shows him the rise of the emperor shows him all of the terrible things that he will do as darth vader shows him what he will do to padme shows him all of his future and tells him that if they leave together they can stop the emperor before any of these terrible things happen and bring peace to the galaxy and so anakin in his usual fashion gets sort of fixated on that and decides to help the sun escape the planet and um, while uh, he's enthralled by the sun's um, sort of spell, the son decides to go get the dagger and kill the father. Um, during that time, the father speaks with Anakin, removes the vision of the future from him, and uh, tells him that that is a violation of the laws of time and that he should never have known that and says that, you know, that future may or may not still be written. But they both agree, uh, Anakin and the father, that the son has to die. And so Anakin winds up killing the son and it's with help from the father and then the father dies, too. And basically, Anakin did bring balance to the force because no one is left on Mortis. Right. And sort of as he dies, the father gives this speech to Anakin about how if he stays on this path, he will do this. He brought balance to Mortis and he will do the same for the galaxy. Just be careful not to not to be distracted by his heart. And I'm not sure that the father really fully appreciates what's happened here. And the truth of what will happen in the future is that Anakin will basically bring balance to the force by destroying most of uh, the force wielders in the galaxy, including at the end, um, the emperor and to some extent himself, leaving only his own uh, son, Luke, to to carry the torch. So, yeah, it's um it's a really good allegory, uh, but it ends in a in a sort of bittersweet. The, the bad guys didn't win. The good guys didn't win either. And um, then Mortis sort of explodes and they find themselves back in the back in the fleet and uh, go about their business. Why did we pick these two story arcs? Well, I think that the Night Sisters story arc is really interesting because it tells 
a story of a group that is neither the Jedi nor the Sith nor the Republic nor the Separatists, but are in, are impacted and affected and well genocided by the Clone Wars. And it just sort of it's a really interesting like additional piece of depth to sort of a two dimensional uh, Star Wars lore. They're uh, they're an additional dimension, like some of the other sort of side groups. Um, and I really, I personally really like the Night Sisters because they are an interesting manifestation of a different aspect of the Force, and they also tie in so well to so many of the stories. Right? They tie into the Asajj story, they tie into the Dooku story, they tie into the Maul story, um, they tie into one more story later on. Um, but they they are this sort of like secondary nexus of a whole bunch of critical events, um, but also end up in a, in a tragic end. Very true, very true. Um, one of the things that I like about the Mortis story is that it kind of forces us to have a shift in our paradigm as to what do we view the role of the one? Uh, you know, like, I, I think there's this understanding in uh, Phantom Menace that we're looking for a savior, basically. But what we just saw is someone who destroys the Force. Yes, and that's really, I mean, that is really Anakin's story, right? He, he basically, dis, you know, he doesn't bring balance by destroying the Sith. He brings balance by destroying everything. And, and that's exactly how the son is able to convince Anakin to side with him briefly. So the son uses Anakin's fear of what he's going to become to get Anakin to buy in to the dark side of the Force real fast. Uh, where do we see that again? Oh, I feel like that happens again maybe later. And if only he had known that that was a thing that could happen to him, maybe he wouldn't let it happen the second time. Or maybe he would. Or maybe he would. Um, that is sort of his Achilles heel, is his fear of what he might do is what ends up causing him to do the things that he fears the most. Right, and what does Yoda say about fear? Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. All of those are the dark side. Right, right. So we don't want fear. No, no, we really don't. Especially in a guy like Anakin, right, where it very quickly manifests into those other things. Very quickly. And like I said before, he very quickly sides with the dark side of the force uh, just to get past his fear. And, you know, he, he's so short-term in his thinking that he doesn't really see what's actually happening, what's at stake. The, the fact that at no point did Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and Anakin come together and go, wow, these are basically the three pillars of all of the force of the galaxy. They, they don't even, you know, acknowledge that. That's, um, you know, a little short-sighted of the Jedi in general. But, um, you know, I, I think really important to note that uh, Anakin, when he's got to pick one of the sides, he, he went dark side. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about the Mortis arc is it's sort of the first time that we see um, a next level sort of up in the in the in the cosmic force. Right. So up till this point, we've seen the Jedi on the light side. We've seen the Sith and others on the dark side. Um, but we've not really seen this sort of broader aspect of the force. And the you know the night sisters show a little bit of this sort of magic aspect of the force but the mortis gods are the first time that we really see that there is a next level where this whole planet you know sort of appears and disappears at their will that these three beings have some measure of influence over the flow of the force for the entire rest of the galaxy and that their death basically you know unleashes chaos into the force 
um, and that you know it's po it's possible that a force wielder can sort of ascend to this plane. So all of these things are are sort of new concepts, and they become even more um, you know we see them again in a few different places. We'll see them again at the end of season six of Clone Wars, which we'll probably talk about in in a future episode, where we see how Yoda learns about the living force and the cosmic force. We'll see similar things at toward the end of uh, Star Wars Rebels, where we see the Mortis gods are actually um, influential in um, Ezra Bridger's uh, visit to a space that can transcend time and space and the Force and uh, and several other story arcs. So this is sort of our first our first step into this even broader world of the Force that exists in different planes and different levels and uh, and can really influence galactic events at a at a new level. Yeah, it's essentially living mythology is what this uh, story arc is. Um, because we talk about Star Wars, but occasionally relationships, uh, I, I think really the overwhelming relationship theme in these two story arcs is about family. Um, family's pretty messed up. It can be. Uh, it really is in these two uh, story arcs. Yeah, the, I mean, the Night Sisters are, are a clan, but like the way that they force brother to fight brother uh, is, is pretty messed up. And the, the fact that the males are willing to do that um, I think that in, on the Mortis side, the you know there's they try to draw a parallel between the father, son, and daughter, and sort of Kenobi, Ahsoka, and Anakin. But because Anakin is actually the most powerful of them, and Obi Wan isn't, it breaks the paradigm and it leads to a whole bunch of chaos. Right, and we also see a running theme that we've seen with the Jedi Council, but we see it uh, embodied by the daughter is that she refuses to do anything to harm her brother. She she just keeps turning, not a blind eye, but she's trying to just not accept it for what it really is. And all those times that we talked about Yoda or Mace Windu or somebody giving the side eye to Palpatine or, you know, wondering, hey, that's weird, and not doing anything but meditating on it, that's essentially what the daughter does too. The inability of the light side to confront the dark side or unwillingness, I, I don't know if it's inability, but it's definitely an unwillingness, is what leads to the downfall of the Jedi. That's right. There's a, a parody movie that was made in, I don't know, probably the 80s called Spaceballs. Tam, uh, this is for you. Yeah, it's a Mel Brooks movie that is a, is a parody of Star Wars. And there's a pretty good line. Uh, Rick Moranis is a character called Dark Helmet that's a parallel to Darth Vader. And he says, taunting the good guy, um, evil will always win because good is dumb. <laughs> and I think in this case, uh, this is a pretty good example of that. The daughter... She is she's pretty naive and the Jedi Council pretty naive. And in this case, uh, evil does win because good is dumb. Yeah. And, and that's not what we want to have happen. But that that's kind of the, the theme we've got going on is family is messed up. Good is dumb. And wow, this is another bummer. Yeah, this whole Clone Wars thing and this prequels thing is a bummer. I think we've unfortunately we've probably got two or three more episodes before we get out of it and then into uh into some i guess happier times in the in the next trilogy i don't really know if we've got happy times coming i gotta say yeah the more that we talk about it the more that i realize like there's a lot of bummers in star wars punctuated by these brief victories by the good guys and then just you know you know oppression ruling the day once again and uh galaxy remains unsettled it's tough it's a tough world out there 
Wow. Okay. Well, we can't end on such a negative note here. So, Kevin, tell our listeners one thing that you love about me that has nothing to do with Star Wars. I love the way you smile at me with your eyes. Aww. Yeah. I love you. I know. <laughs>